Hello, hi everyone. It's great to see you all in a different platform that I'm not usually be part of. Um, welcome everyone to the exciting episode of XP series. XP series is very different as part of the different initiatives that we do at Lambda Test. Uh, through XP series, we bring you the latest innovations and best practices in the field of quality engineering and software development with uh, different experts in the software industry. And uh, today, joining me today is Mudit Singh, Head of Marketing and Growth, and also one of the founding members here at Lambda Test. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, I am Manoj, and I'll be the host uh, or co-host rather, I would say, because I believe this is more of a podcast and we will be having interchanging questions from both of us in a very exciting topic. And it's none other than the, um, the survey that we did recently. But before actually diving into that, Mudit, how are you? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for joining me today in this uh, episode. Manoj, I know this is something that's pretty new for both of us, but I'm really excited to our uh, conversation. Very happy to hear, Mudit. Thank you. So um, this session is about the future of Quality Assurance Survey report that we did uh, a few months early. So we have some interesting insights um, as part of the survey, and um, it's something that we're going to talk about it. Um, so that you get to know what that insight is all about, right? So, um, I yeah. Think, so, in uh, fact, this is, the, yeah, this is the first year that with this this survey, and we had a over, overwhelmingly good response to the survey as well. But I still just want to, before the start of the session, wants to give a friendly disclaimer that this report should not be taken as our recommendations, but more as a benchmarking on what the state of quality assurance looks like across the industry and uh, what the con current uh, teams should strive towards in the form of numbers or processes or best practices when looking at this data. And yeah, so with that said, let's get started on this. So Manoj, uh, we know that we created this survey as part of our TestMU initiative, kind of like giving a voice to the community as a whole. But I just want to hear in your words, like what has been our motivation behind starting and launching this survey? Um, it's, a, it's a very tough question, I would say. Reason being, almost everyone knows the knows in the community that community is at heart of Lambda Test, right? Yeah. So it's rooted in our commitment uh, to understanding and navigating the ever-changing tech landscape. And if you look back even five years or even last year, there is a lot of trend changing each and every year. And we have various uh, community activities from Lambda Test like Voice of Community, Spartans Program, and more importantly, our flagship event, TestMU, where we bring in a three-day conference. And actually, this is something that we started last year in 2023 when we did TestMU and we announced that we've been doing uh, the survey. And uh, now that we have uh, done the survey, we have some interesting in uh, insights to you. And actually, see, most of these events will bring you either covering one use case or a case study of a particular topic. But then we want to bring we want to bring you um, all the insights of deep dive, how testing is considered, how quality is considered in an enterprise or a small startup uh, to mid-size, right? So ranging from startups to big enterprises, how testing is viewed, how testing is considered in the overall uh, SDLC phases and how quality is being prioritized. So that's how I believe, you know, we want to bring in all of these insights into one report. And I believe uh, we, we, we did that. And uh, I was, of course, excited to see uh, the results. Uh, but before that, before diving into the actual, you know, uh, sections of, you know, topics of a different survey, I want to ask you, Mudit, um, how diverse was this report? Because that's very important, right? 
So, yeah, in fact, uh, this was a pretty good, we had a pretty good diverse range, I'll say, of people who are responded. So as you guys know, TestMu was a pretty big platform for us. We had more than uh, 18,000 people who registered and it was visible over here as well. We had around 1,600 valid responses from across 70 plus different countries. Uh, though we had a pretty big job, uh, demographics of test engineers who answered the reports, but uh, that was only around 51%. We also had a lot of developers or software engineers who took the, this report, the survey as well. Uh, when we talk about experience level, around 31% of uh, respondents were above 10 plus years. And we also had people who are starting in their testing journey or development journey. So around 30% of the people were under three years of experience. But overall, the demographics were pretty mixed. We had 29%, 17% in the age of, uh, in the experience range of three to six. And uh, in terms of company sizes, the people who are working across different companies, we had a pretty diverse crowd in there as well, where we had uh, large companies, companies that have more than 2,000 employees. We have around 43 companies, 43% of the companies uh, respondents were from large companies and 27% of respondents were from medium companies and rest were from smaller companies, startups and early stages of startups. But yeah, well, like across the board, we have diversity in every part of things. Uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, pretty diverse group, I'll say. That's pretty interesting. I think more than the um, individual personas, like as such, whether they are a junior or a executive level or a, a mid-level engineer, I think what interests me more is about the uh, the size of the organizations, because yeah. as we see the future of quality assurance survey, uh, that's very important. And I see, as you mentioned, you know, um, small being at 28%, uh, medium being at 27%, and then large being at 43%, which is great. And I hope that um, we will have a very diverse mix of like uh, all the voices included in the survey, which is very glad to hear. Uh, mm -hmm. Thanks for doing that survey, Mudit. Um, let's touch into uh, upon the state of testing, right? Let's get into the crux of it. Um, in such a diverse mix of survey responses, where do testers spend most of their time? So yeah, this was in fact one of the most interesting data and kind of uh, very interesting insights that we got of, out of this. So the first thing you expect that your profile is SDET, your profile is tester. So you will be spending most of your time writing tests, you know, writing uh, code to uh, test the other code, right? But it seems like it is like, though it is a very important aspect, but it is not the most uh, time that it's, uh, SDET or a developer, in fact, spends their time on. So there are uh, what I will say pre-test activities. Only 17% of their overall time gets spent in authoring tests, planning the tests, uh, planning the processes and everything. There are a lot of time, specifically a lot of time after the execution of tests gets there. So, for example, they spend around 11% of their time in optimizing the tests, uh, around 11% of their time, further 11% of their time in triaging, debugging, uh, and nearly 12% of their time is spent on result analysis and reporting, creating reports after this. But there also, I'll say, some time that gets, I'll not say, the right use that they have to do. So, for example, nearly 8% of their time gets spent on fixing flaky tests, one of the biggest challenges that there have been. And nearly 8% of their time gets spent on fixing broken tests, so tests that they were working earlier, but because of some change, they are breaking. So that healing of that test part, again, that they spend around 8% of the time. And one of the biggest, I'll say, the metric uh, 
that was alarming here was test execution monitoring. So nearly 20% of testers just sit back and relax and 20% uh, of their time is spent on just watching the test execute, right? So which I feel is something that can be optimized uh, in the further, right? And this is also kind of reflects back on the testing practices that companies are following, uh, what the how they are exactly utilizing the time of their uh, the resources they have. And in fact, this is also something that I think, Manoj, you can help us out with. So we did this survey on uh, one of the questions in the survey was around the development budget. So what do you see that how the companies are spending their development budgets on and uh, what they should be spending their development budgets on? Uh, sure, yeah, I think before touching upon that, um, it is quite interesting when you mention about uh, how testers are spending their time even before, even after scripting and then running the test. Um, mm -hmm. I still remember back in days, this was before the days where there was a less of cloud adoption, there was less of uh, Selenium grid adoption, where people used to run the test and distribute it. Uh, at this stage, like cloud, like there is a cloud adoption, right? So there's age of yeah. cloud and then there is now age of AI. Um, it's still alarming to understand, you know, people are, uh, you know, still uh, trying to fix the scripts and then running it again, um, running it again locally and then watching the script. And I think that's that's really a pain point where I think that should be taken care of. And uh, I hope to, you know, see that's still improved because testers should actually spend time on more productive work um, yeah. in, the, in the future. Um, so yeah, I think with the hope that it uh, gets better in the coming years. Um, to answer your question on uh, the development budget, well, you know, there's no right answer for that. It totally depends. Um, I've been a consultant before um, uh, joining Lambda Test, where I consulted with a lot of uh, companies, especially enterprises, and then mid-stage, and then even startups for that matter. Uh, the question, I think the answer for it, it depends. And then I would start with the why principle, you know, nailing down uh, the, the, the five whys and then gets the priority right. Uh, and understand where, how, where and how quality has been prioritized, right? So how, how priority is quality for you? Of course, at the beginning, everyone say, yeah, it's the top priority. But then uh, if we it the time given for testers and quality, I think we'll talk even more in the coming questions. But largely what I want to touch upon is um, um, you should think about quality, which is good. Uh, and I think advocating for quality is very, very important. But then um, people miss out the cost of uh, tooling when they allocate budgets. Um, and then, or maybe when they consider tooling and think if majority goes into tooling, then the time given to the testers is less. And also what's more important is to, do you even consider the non-functional requirements? Well, testing functionally is very good. And are you testing for security? Are you testing for accessibility? Are you visually testing and comparing two screens are better or not, right? To verify the user experience. So a lot of these things really matter. And I think uh, you should make the call as early as possible and uh, factor all of this into um, the budget. So with that, um, I want to see if this is something that, uh, you know, the report said. Is there anything different with it? Uh, that you want to share from the report? Yeah, so again, uh, if somebody wants to benchmark uh, the report, the data that we have says that nearly up to uh, more than 50% of the companies, uh, teams that we surveyed, nearly 50% of the companies spend up to 25% of their overall development budget on testing resources. Whereas the larger companies, where of course they have a bigger products to test, they spend up 
more than up to like uh, 50% of their overall development budgets on testing. So 30% of the larger companies spend uh, 25% to 50% of their overall testing budget on uh, the overall development budget on the testing part. So like if you lie in that median number, that's good. But again, these are all benchmarking numbers. You can see, let's say you can find out how your process looks like and uh, adopt to that part. And when you mean resources, like 25% of developer, when you mean resources, it's not the actual staffing, right? It's about the... Yeah. It's about the toolings. And I think the biggest, uh, the, the spend is always on the infrastructure part of things, the environment and the testing resources that are spent on running those tests, executing those tests. In fact, some cases, writing those tests as well. So tooling, infrastructure, and of course, the overall staffing requirements as well, that is there. But uh, I'll say the uh, biggest, the chunk of uh, the people spend is there is around infrastructure and tooling. Interesting, interesting. That's a that's a great insight. Thanks for sharing. And uh, I want to slightly um, move further and touch upon. Uh, you mentioned about the majority of the time even spent on execution, and then there is a flaky test about it. So before even getting into all of that, I think the important part is about the test authoring, right, Madhu? So from yeah. a test authoring perspective, um, I want to understand what those uh, survey respondents um, were using at their work for from a UI test framework perspective. Uh, is there any uh, insights do you think uh, you could share on this? So yeah, in, I'll say this is something that is also visible in the broader community. People are bogged down with the fact uh, with these statements, which framework is the most popular, which framework is most used, or which framework is better than another framework. But in practicality, when we see, look at the survey, we also did the survey on which tooling people are using. But we got to know that nobody is using only one set of tooling. Nobody is using only one type of authoring tools. In fact, 75% of organization are using more than two frameworks for their overall test automation writing. And uh, nearly 39% to 40% of companies are using three frameworks. Uh, and this is also visible, uh, this is also required because right now the test authoring part is a very collaborative thing in nature. This is, we are seeing in the survey as well, nearly 40%, 38.6% of companies are there where both dev and QA writes tests. So it becomes important that you choose the tooling that mixes and matches the skill set of both developers and QAs, uh, the testers, right? So uh, the developers are usually expert in the framework with which they are building up the system under test. So that also kind of starts to define what tooling has to be used. Uh, and same way, the, whatever tooling is being used by developers, the QA team should also be an expert in that as well. But uh, with that said, there has been a feedback that we received from a community related to the survey, specifically related to this question, is that we have not delved very deep into the overall tooling that is required across the whole life cycle. And that is something we plan to iterate in our next survey that we'll be releasing in 2024. We'll be doing a more diverse or more in-depth study on what tools, what exact tooling is required are being used across companies at which state cycle, right? So this is something we're going to improve in next year. That's interesting. Um, thanks for acknowledging. Um, <laughs> I don't know how many of you that do that, but I think that's a nice, nicer feedback when we talk about, you know, quality as a whole. Um, 
process. And I think um, touching upon quality at every stage is very, very important. And I believe um, always there's a room for improvement and we are very open to feedback. So I hope um, we could add that in the next one. So thanks for sharing that, Mudit. Um, I want to touch upon um, the, the, I think we say AI is the future, right? But then yeah. sometimes we often forget or often uh, very curious to know have people, everyone migrated or using CICD yet? So is there any insights from an CICD adoption that you could share with us? So company-wise, yeah, it is visible that uh, the CICD adoption is pretty high. Nearly 88% of organizations uh, across the board are leveraging CICD tools uh, with uh, large organization, nearly 90% of the large organizations using some sort of CICD tools in their organizations. But that does not translate to the QA practices. So, for example, though 88% are using CICD tools, 45% of tests that are being run are still triggered manually, either through local system or through a CLI. And uh, one of the biggest advantages of a CICD system is distributing the test across different machines, scaling it up. But 32% of the people are not running their tests in parallel. They are just running tests across uh, in a first-come-first-serve sequential manner. And uh, another interesting insight here was that 48% of people are still running tests on locally hosted or on a in-house grid. No, they are not leveraging the overall cloud. They are not leveraging the overall CI/CD ecosystem. So even though CI/CD has been adopted, but the CI/CD aspect in testing or even in automation testing is not leveraged fully, and that is creating a lot of issues, which I feel. So, for example, uh, we earlier discussed that people are still facing flakiness. So nearly 11% of their time is spent on 8% uh, of their time is spent on fixing those flaky tests, and this is because of uh, improper infra infrastructure that is there. And uh, nearly 11% of their time they spend on test environment setup and maintenance. So because they are running locally or on a, let's say, self-managed grid, uh, they have to spend a lot of time on just fixing the infrastructure in place before running the test. So I'll say this is something that is an area of improvement in the year of 2024. How to, if you're already adopted CICD, 90% are doing that. Now how to properly leverage that for automation testing or running automation testing at scale? Yeah, it's quite interesting um, on the percentage that you share, like 48% of people uh, either run it uh, locally or on self-hosted. Like I'm, I'm, I'm fine a little bit towards using the self-hosted, like at least they're using something to run it remote so that they can save some productivity. But it's quite alarming to uh, hear local missions, right? And that thing that's definitely needs to be improved. Uh, and Mudit, is there, so for someone who's running self-hosted, what are they missing out on running in cloud? What is the what is the advantage that you see between running in self-hosted versus running in cloud? So of course, the most important aspect is the flakiness that we talked about. Running tests locally creates a lot of issues, specifically around creating a lot of flakiness. Uh, in addition, there is a lot of time that is spent across the teams, not just testers, but also DevOps and rest of the team members in setting up, maintaining uh, that test environment. In fact, we have seen uh, a lot of companies have uh, are employing five to 10 DevOps engineers just to maintain the test infrastructure. It is there in the survey report as well. But uh, scalability and flexibility, I'll say that is one of the biggest issues. Now you are running tests, but 
as your product increase as your uh, team size and your practices increase you will be running more and more more and more tests so at one point the system will break just because you are not able to scale with the scale product so scalability is one of the biggest issues and uh, another is well, right think, now um, also the yeah. um, sorry to interrupt nothing when you mentioned about um, setting up uh, the team and they have a dedicated team i think one thing for me uh, would be the diversification of uh, where you're running your tests right yeah. i think the availability of machines or different combinations um uh, be it, you know uh, especially when it comes to mobile devices even harder right yeah yeah so we uh, like though we it's also there we see in sadway as well people are running tests across both uh, emulators simulators and real mobile devices uh, and in fact we feel that this is the right strategy rather than just going with emulators or just going with real devices people should do a diverse mix of both but that kind of distribution is very difficult to do when you are running tests locally right connecting each and every device uh, that becomes a challenge so it's always a good practice to set everything up on a cloud and it's also easier to integrate everything on a cloud platform your cicd platform is in cloud your reporting can be in cloud your test execution so bringing all that data together in one ecosystem one place in a cloud based platform that makes your life much easier right so overall the Absolutely. process becomes pretty optimized absolutely i think that's uh, that's pretty straightforward thanks for sharing that now um slightly related to that um and, and largely towards uh, running your tests smartly or rather i yeah. would say uh, orchestrating your tests smartly right because as you yeah. said after going back to two questions before where i spoke about where tests are spending most of the time so what is that what is that like do should companies uh, should run their tests yeah so now uh, this is something we have been doing for past 5 to 6 years moving towards shift left so people are increasing their overall uh, automation i'll say the overall automation that they are running writing more and more of their test automation uh, moving towards continuous testing these are this is these all things are not new people have been doing for decades and scaling that up like we have seen uh, a huge scale in that in last 5 years but there is a very brute force approach to this that is still going on people are running all the automation tests all the time the smart factor or the intelligence factor is not there and this is what people should do so instead of just running tests brute force run those tests in a smarter manner and which we right now are calling test orchestration one of the most important aspect of this uh, we see that nearly 36% of the companies in fact larger companies are not doing test orchestration in any way they don't prioritize which test should be run first they don't uh, prioritize what should be the order of those tests and uh, most of the testing is done either based on the criticality of the feature or the functionality of the feature that is being tested but again as i said a lot of brute force now the idea here is that we should cut down on the developer feedback time so uh we should not as we said a lot of time is being spent on just monitoring the test execution that should not be there the developer feedback time should be there and in fact right now there are a lot of ways people can achieve that so for example one of the features in lambda test hyper execute platform is uh, fail first mechanism so what we do is based on the past is that run 
the next test that run will first run the test that were failing earlier. So that will, that way developers get to do that faster regression testing. They get to know faster that whatever they did last time is has fixed the things that uh, are let's say in the in the current iteration. And uh, if not, they can go back to the drawing board. They do not have to wait for all the 60 minutes. And but then there is also another aspect related to what we can say load balancing across different machines. So now you are using hundreds of machines to properly distribute your test across. Now there should be a smarter way to distribute those tests as well to get the most optimum overall test execution times. And uh, another, there are more future aspects to this as well. And in fact, there is a role of AI in this. Uh, you should not be running all the tests all the time. So the smarter way to run those tests would be to uh, select intelligently the test that has to be executed for the specific tests that you are running. And of course, as a uh, just to build up confidence, you should can run tests all the time, like all the tests all the time. But it's always better to instead instead have a smarter selection of the test that has to be done, right? Uh, but again, another concept that I want to kind of build in, bring in this is no matter how uh, smartly you run your tests on, there are still big challenges in automation testing that we see right now. And uh, that I want to call out the most important challenge that we still see is the flakiness. So Manoj, what's your, uh, what's your take on the flakiness still being one of the biggest challenges the testers has to face? Certainly, I think flakiness, uh, you can't escape from it, right? I think that's very straightforward. And um, I think last week I gave a talk in uh, a meetup group here in Sydney uh, around the topic called continuous testing with AI. And um, I think I think a couple of slides we talked about AI, the flaky tests, and then uh, even during the post talk, there were questions about flaky tests. Um, uh, I think someone, uh, you know, asked me about uh, um, Okay, I'm running my test locally and it passes. And when I run my test in remote, it fails. Uh, so where does the flakiness exist? Is it whether the machine or whether it's uh, the application? Um, well, I don't know the, honestly the answer to it. I think that's where testers role should be to figure out why. Because um, some, if you run your test remotely, um, it could use a network that is different. Uh, system resources could be different. Uh, it might be optimized differently. And remember, those settings could be in your user's machines as well. So potentially, the same might fail in your user's uh, machine as well. So I would say flakiness is an opportunity for you to understand more about your application. And I feel, um, uh, and I think a lot of people still use a retry as a mechanism uh, to you know get past beyond the flakiness. And I, I would say, um, Rewrite would not be a re, uh, rerun is not the ideal way, but rather, of course, when it's run again, sometimes it passes, and that's why we call flakiness. But then, ideally, and I think that's where the the reporting mechanism would really help. And I think um, uh, one of the interesting facts from the, even from the report that we saw is 58% uh, of the teams uh, encounter more than one percentage of their runs as a flaky test, right? And um, and I think from a this is not from a small or you know mid-sized organization. Even large organizations that are up to 28% uh, have said they face more than five percentage of flaky tests. So uh, I think overall, what it means is you know the better infrastructure and good practices. Uh, setting up, you know, the CI/CD. We spoke about uh, continuous testing, um, and also using AI wherever is, uh, you know, helping you. Right. So, as you mentioned rightly, 
running your test smartly, not running your test at every time, but rather if there is a way mechanism for you to run a relevant test based on your recent code changes, that could be one way where AI could help you run your tests based on code changes. And then maybe uh, it can prioritize your test based on your last couple of builds and say, hey, uh, these tests file failed in the last couple of builds. Maybe you should run this first. Uh, maybe because fail fast, right? So fail fast is a key uh, trend for continuous testing and CI/CD, where we tend to um, you don't know whether the, the product or the code that we wrote is good or not. I think a lot of this revolves around that. And uh, I would say AI will help us a lot. Uh, and uh, to wrap up my uh, thing on flakiness, yes, it will be uh, there. Uh, but I would say it's an opportunity for you to understand uh, how uh, you could improve your tests or maybe uh, debug your applications. And, and as I said, a lot of this revolves around giving you more data. Right, so that means speaking about the uh, observability part, right? Uh, so, with it, is this something that you can touch upon? Like, um, uh, did any of this response from the survey talk about uh, observability as a practice? So, yeah, in fact, that was uh, a pretty interesting topic as well, and I was getting to that part. So, we see that uh, people spend a lot of their time in triaging, debugging. Uh, so, nearly twelve percent of their time is spent on triaging, debugging. And 12% of their time is spent on uh, analyzing the test results. All of that is there in our survey report. And there is also additional time that is there, 8% on identifying flaky tests, which we talked about. But all of that kind of contrasts uh, with, like, all of that kind of suggests that people spend a lot of time on reports. People spend a lot of time on this, have to spend a lot of time on this observability, whereas they are triaging or analyzing the test results. But it contrasts with the fact that people have not adopted any specific tooling for this. So nearly 30% of the organizations do not have any test intelligence and observability set up in place. And nearly 20% of companies are not do not have any fixed, uh, in fact, basic test risk reporting setup. So people are worried and doing a lot of test automation, but the post steps of that, analyzing those test results is something they are still lagging behind. Uh, there is no, I'll say, right uh, test intelligence and observability setup in companies, in which will definitely be hampering a lot of their, uh, let's say, scalability aspects in this as well. So until and unless you get the right insights out of your test execution data at the right time, you won't be able to take right decisions and also improve upon the quality. And this is something we are seeing in our data as well. Uh, I will say as a goal of 2024, companies should focus on building this, this set of tooling up in their practices. Yeah, I would say, I think observability, just to add upon with it, um, yeah. I would say observability as a way of life, um, talking about, not, not the open telemetry APIs. And of course, there is some parts of it. And I remember working in the Selenium project where we also um, instrumented the Selenium code base with the open telemetry API. So you could see the traces of it. But then uh, when you mean observability, it's all about uh, you know the traces, logs, and metrics, right? So here, um, if you are not, I think what, you, what are you saying about the report, especially people are not having uh, basic reporting, right? So that's that's very very important and needs to be taken care of because your the return on investment, the ROI on test automation, um, will largely be known only by the history of reports or even by looking at your past bills, right? I think that's one way to see how your tests have passed. Like, is it actually usable? People say if your automation code is not finding bugs, then it's no use, right? It's it's a different way of seeing. I wouldn't say 
I would say rather, uh, uh, you know, use those test results and reporting mechanics and build it, as you rightly said, I think that if those companies who have not built in that mechanism, and I think that's where they should focus on. And that's very, very important to um, uh, have, have that is. And I don't know if AI can help there, but uh, and I think talking about AI, right? So let's jump in and talk about AI in testing. So uh, the, the most uh, you know um, important aspect or one of the uh, key things to look forward in 2024, where every if you open up any socials, you see about AI. As we talk about any execs, um, you know they have a budget for AI. So speaking about AI, Mudit, uh, I see um, about 78% of software testers already adopting AI, which is it's not quite expected to be very honest. Like when I when I was looking at it, maybe there was around you know twenty percent, twenty five percent, or maybe thirty percent at the max. But I think seventy um, percent is quite large for software testers. Now, how should companies prepare for the age of AI? So, like we already see that uh, come that people have adopted the AI based tooling, specifically the let's say things like text generators or chat GPT. Nearly 80% of the surveyors have used that or are using that currently. Uh, they are aware about it. And in fact, things like uh, code generation, so GitHub Copilot and tools similar to that, nearly 45% of people are aware about those tools and are using them uh, effectively. So companies should start evaluating on what kind of tooling is the right fit. Uh, to be fair, it's still pretty early stage for most people and uh, uh, like everybody is kind of exploring what kind of tooling is there, what kind of tooling should help, can help. But uh, we see that the, the overall outlook on these tools is pretty positive with nearly 30% of people saying that they see these tools as a positive impact, can create a way to increase the overall productivity of the team. And one of the biggest use cases that nearly 25% of people say that it can help bridge the gap between manual and automated testing. So specifically people who are moving from manual uh, testing processes and want to automate a lot of those processes, there is a learning curve in that that, in, uh, that is involved. So people say that uh, nearly 30% of people, 25% of people say that it can help them do that. Uh, but not just that, there are other aspects of uh, AI that people are using as well. So all of this we talked about, in fact, the uh, most talked about things right now are uh, related to Gen AI, chat GPT and everything. But there is another aspect of it that is cognitive AI. So uh, things that looks at large amount of data and uh, give on insights. And knowing and unknowingly, people are still using a lot of those tooling in the past, in currently right now that involves this. So for example, if anybody is using any uh, visual regression testing, so there's a chances that there is an AI involved in that. So for example, Lambda tests our own visual regression testing as a AI aspect in the back end. And it's not just that. So test intelligence. So we see nearly 35% of respondents are using AI tooling for analytics and reporting. So looking at the large set of test execution data and creating report out of it or creating analysis out of this. 26% uh, of people are using the AI tooling for uh, test optimization. We also talked about orchestration part of things. So the optimization and prioritization of testing that is something AI is helping out with. And 18% uh, of people are using for scheduling and of course test orchestration so the use of generative ai specifically around test data generation and tasks like test case creation is there 
nearly 50% of people are using for test data generation and 45% are using for test case uh, test case creation but using cognitive ai is also there and uh, that also brings up to the next set of things right we see that people are adopting ci cd people are adopting ai tooling so what is what you feel should be the roadmap for developers and testers what they should be investing their time and efforts in upskilling themselves to get prepared for this uh, i'll say new advent of uh, technologies yeah it brings um, to me to the seat but i think um i say i think you're right i think um a lot of people, those of you already I talked to, are using uh, AI in some way, which is um, interesting. And I think when I talk about the use cases specifically, uh, I think if you talk about uh, testers, uh, as you mentioned, uh, they're already trying to uh, get some uh, smart mechanisms, like writing um, test cases uh, for it, or even uh, using um, tools like GitHub Copilot, where um, I think GitHub Copilot is one of the examples of a larger UI use case, right? So if you have your own model and data, you can, of course, train your own. Uh, but then that's just a small example for it. And um, and even uh, AI can help you uh, bring in the test intelligence part of it. Like when you have large number of pills, say you've run 100 tests, maybe uh, what is the data? So we spoke about the basic test report in an earlier question. Now, I think here AI um, can bring you that sort of test intelligence and analytics out of it. And even to one step further, it can give you predictive analysis about um, how AI can help you based on your test uh, runs and all of that metadata right i think that really helps and uh, also from a developer perspective and i think needless to say you know right from chatbot what we see in every website that we go most of the things are answered by that i think the the, the time that uh, people have to wait in a customer call is reduced and um, you know even from a development metric perspective a lot of things have been from that i think ai is definitely helping i think people are moving towards uh, ai augmented development or AI augmented testing. I think that's really key to uh, uh, answer. And, and I believe that's that's what it's going, it's already happening in some percentage and I believe uh, it will be even stronger in 2024. Yeah, another uh, great aspect that, that we got to know through this survey is that, uh, which we were also talking about earlier, is the uh, move towards CI/CD platforms and uh, this is something that I think testers should be upskilling themselves on. So uh, it's another tool set in their overall testing ecosystem that they would have to use. And if you're not aware about CICD tools or using those CICD tools, I think that is something you can start learning more about. Uh, and for example, we see that uh, even in right now, large companies, uh, SDETs, QAs are responsible for integrating CICD, uh, integrating automation tests in the CICD platform. So nearly 46% of companies, the job of integrating automation tests in the CICD pipelines is with SDETs. So if you're uh, skill lagging behind in that skill set, I think that is something you can start improving. Uh, another aspect is like there are a lot of companies that are still not using CACD platform. So if you are one of those 12.5% of companies that don't run automation tests as part of CACD pipelines, that is something you can, uh, in an initiative, you can start on in your uh, present company. Uh, another aspect we also were discussing earlier, test orchestration. 36% of companies are not doing test orchestration in any way. So learning about how we can orchestrate those tests, uh, either through CICD platform, there are a lot of frameworks that support those kind of capabilities, or through dedicated tooling. So for example, Lambda tests, 
uh, hyper execute platform has inbuilt features on test orchestration uh, inbuilt cicd features that can help you achieve that so uh, how to leverage those kind of tooling for your test orchestration that is something you should definitely spend your time to learn more about right and uh, yeah i think uh, we are just heading on the time manoj but last thing we want to discuss this is a very big question though we have been talking about ai and uh, all of those talks have been positive in nature so far but i'll still see that companies maybe still hesitant to adopt to ai's uh, maybe as a broader in investment what questions you feel that the companies should answer before they dive into dive head first into adopting ai toolings uh, what challenges are still there to be overcome in this regard um yeah i think that's a tough question probably we should ask that in the next survey maybe if you have not already asked them um yeah. but i think uh, in my opinion i think ai adoption could seem like easy at the first um but i think uh, the key questions that i think would be around uh, you know uh, alignment with the business goals uh, as as a key point uh, where uh, you know using ai shouldn't be the only key thing so if i'm using ai i'll have a world class product no shouldn't be the case but you should always see how ai is going to augment and help my uh, product grow uh, be it quality wise or be it development wise or no matter right so so it has a product itself and then see how it's going to help me around it and i think um, uh, one of the challenges would be around integrating with existing systems because i believe unless it's a green tool project um Uh, most of them are already having their product at some stage and then trying to use ai so they should see how the onboarding experience is for any of these ai tools is it seamless and i think that's one of the quest key questions to ask uh, apart from uh, talking about goals and and the next key thing would be around uh, the uh, the ethical considerations right so um, the bias as they would say uh, you know sometimes ai could be biased in terms of you no know, how you're using ai i think from a testing perspective from an uh, infrastructure perspective it's very different but i think overall from an usage of ai perspective that's very very important to uh, understand like how ai is going to help you and give that fairness and i think uh, the other thing would be around the availability of data i think that's very very important and also it changes uh, differently from where you are coming from whether it's europe you have your own gdpr uh, uh sort of regulatory compliances as i touched upon earlier uh, and then uh, a lot of these things comes into picture uh, i think this is just the beginning um, and uh, there will be a lot more things to come and also uh, using ai responsibly is also one of the key things uh, to uh, consider Yeah, so we have believe, but uh, yeah. do you want you have? Yeah, go ahead. I think you already so, decided to share something. We had this kind of question in our survey as well, and yeah, uh, I'll not touch upon the fact that yeah, security is one of the most important consideration big companies usually take in, but that is something they would be already looking at whenever they are adopting AI tools. How secure it is. but i'll say the uh, one of the biggest challenges that they feel right now is reliability so nearly 60% of the respondents feel that the biggest challenge with adopting ai is reliability aspect so uh, these are still new tools they are not 100% perfect and uh, there is as i said a lot of machine learning that has to happen in this right so uh, reliability is still a big challenge and another challenge that is we see is like what nearly 54% of respondents said was scale gap 
So even though there is uh, AI tooling, how to properly leverage those AI tooling is something people are still struggling with. And considering that, yeah, adding this AI tooling to the already running cycles, already running workflows, it can become a little bit complex to get the right results out of it. So complexity is one of the most important challenges as well. So, but yeah, I think uh, as the tools start to improve further in coming year, year of 2024, the adoption of these toolings will increase as well. Yeah, that's that's um, that's quite interesting too. I think that's also covered. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it, you know, I touched upon something that's relatable to most of this. I think I spoke about, you know, being able to integrate with the existing uh, systems and then talking about, you know, uh, the bias factor and also talking about how the onboarding experience. I think onboarding experience is not only from two perspectives as well as from the skill gap perspective, uh, whether um, uh, do my colleagues, do my coworkers understand what this is all about. So that that's interesting. Um, so thanks, Mudit. I think that was uh, wonderful. I think that, as you mentioned, that brings to uh, the very end of our, our, our session for today. And uh, thank you very much uh, for sharing these insights. And um, so for, uh, thank you so much for uh, listening uh, to this uh, episode of uh, XP series with us, uh, featuring uh, Mudit Singh, as the founding member of Lambda Test, and also uh, who's heading their marketing and growth for uh, Lambda Test. And I'm Manoj Kumar, heading the uh, developer relations uh, on this episode called the Future of Quality Assurance Survey. If you have any feedbacks, questions, or comments, feel free to share with us. Uh, we will also link down the link to the survey. Uh, and as I mentioned, the, the, the root of the survey was from TESMI conference. So uh, TESMI conference is happening in 2024. That's from August 21st to 23rd, 2024. Uh, I look forward to seeing you there in the conference. And we will also be running this uh, survey again. Is that right, Mudit? Yeah. 2024, we'll be running it again and hopefully with better questions. So if you guys have any feedback on our present data, you want to know more about anything or want us to deep dive in the next survey on anything, feel free to add in your uh, add in your insights and we'll be happy to improve upon our current survey as well. And most Perfect. importantly, and most importantly, do not forget to subscribe. We are coming out with more XP series webinars coming soon. So do subscribe to our YouTube channel to keep yourself updated. Absolutely. That's very important. Do subscribe to <laughs> that. Signing off, Mudit and Manoj. And we'll see you um, in, the, in the next uh, show, in the next edition, maybe. Until then, uh, do take care and uh, have, a, have a great uh, rest of the year.